morning. Our scripture reading today is Romans 8.15 and also Galatians 4.6, and you can follow along on page 9. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And from Galatians. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Well, we continue on in our series of devotion beyond ticking the box. And I just want to say on the outset, as we look at this, I know that sometimes when we talk about our fellowship with one another like we did last week and gathering together in a a group of fellow believers of Christians and those who are not yet, those who are coming to hear the message of peace, that there are places in our hearts that those things that are the good graces that God has given us, his word, fellowship, and now we're at prayer, have sometimes been used by others to cause deep pain and sorrows in our lives. That they've taken the good gifts that God has given us, this idea that there are things that God has given us so that we can be devoted to Jesus alone. And have used them to make them tick boxes, list, that have then caused damage in our own hearts as we've feared being rejected by people because we're not doing it the way that they're doing it. Where people have held us to standards that God has not held us to in his scripture because they want to feel better about themselves. And even our own hearts have accused us saying you're just not a good enough Christian because you're not doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing in the ways that you're supposed to be doing them. That happens to you whether you have been in church since the day you were born or this is your second or third or maybe even your first time. My dear friend Kathy calls them Bible wounds. These places where God's gifts have been taken and corrupted, much like the good world that we live in, that because of the fall has been corrupted. And so the whole purpose of this series, the whole goal of this series is to remind us that these things that sometimes have been taken and made bad are actually good, gracious gifts from God that enable us to move into a place of devotion All of our being turned towards God. As Jesus said, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love others as you love yourself. And so, would you mind if I just pray as we step into this? God, let these words be your words. Let them be an encouragement to us. In those places that we might hear condemnation, That's not from you. Make us deaf to it. 
But where there are places where you are encouraging us, urging us to look at the good gifts you've provided us so that we can see you clearly and love you with all that we are and love those that are around us, will you break into those places and reveal them to us? In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Well, this week I had the privilege of celebrating a birthday for one of my children. And in that birthday, because our passports say another country, we decided that it would be good to do something that we would do in that country. Now, I know that s'mores are making their way here. But they can never be true s'mores until you're able to actually get graham crackers that don't cost $15. But one of the things that is necessary for s'mores outside of graham crackers and marshmallows and chocolate bar is fire. You have to have fire in order to have a s'more. You don't want to just microwave your marshmallow or just buy marshmallow fluff. You actually want your marshmallow to be roasted in an open flame, preferably outside over wood. I mean, you can do it in a pinch over your gas stove, but it's not quite the same. And so we were going to have s'mores on Friday night. And so I went and I bought wood, and I got ready to start the fire. And I watched as the fire began to start. Those starter logs, those little quick start things, they're very flammable. And there the fire starts, and it's going, and I put some kindling on it, and, and it's going, and I think, all right, we're to the point where I can put a, a piece of, of heftier wood on top of that, and I put it on there, and I'm watching the fire lick around it, and it looks as if it's catching on fire, and I think, oh, that's good, it's moving, it's going, and I kind of walk away, and I come back, and there's really not much going on anymore. And so I was taught that you then blow on a fire. And so I got down as close as I could to the fire and I began to blow. Specific ways you have to blow. Not going to work. You got to get your lips just right. You've got to have the stream perfectly. And there I see the embers start to glow and then fire begins to happen. And I say, well, now I was fooled last time, log. And so I stay there and I blow more and more and more till it is a raging inferno in that cauldron. It looks as if everything is going up. And I say, yes, it is going. We can have s'mores. And I walk to check on people to see that everything is okay. And I come back and there is nothing. Well, now the party is in full swing and people are not asking me, thank goodness, if we're having s'mores. Some of them don't even know what they are, which is great. But I'm feeling the pressure of getting this fire to go because if it doesn't go, then it's not going to be a true birthday party. And so I'm down as close as I can. I finally say, I've got to get some more of those fire starters. And so instead of just breaking one of them off and lighting it and putting it in, I just take the whole log and I just chunk it in there. And it's going, and I'm like, yes, it's like somebody is welding the fire, right? Super bright. And, I'm putting, and I don't want to put too many logs on it because I don't want to suffocate, but I want to have enough so that if it does catch 
please, if it catches, then it will go and we can have s'mores. And I'm sitting there watching it, and it's as if it is the burning bush, quite literally. It is fire all around, but nothing is actually on fire. And finally, I just had to give up. Stop. Wasn't worth it. It's not going to happen. And I went back and checked every once in a while, and yes, there were embers, and I could have blown on it, and it would have started up, but it wasn't going to burn. We weren't going to be able to do s'mores that evening. (laughs) And nobody cared. Except for me. I think sometimes that's the way we perceive our prayer lives. We know that we should have a prayer. It's necessary to have a prayer life. And and so we think that we need to get all the things together that would make a prayer life appropriate and good. And, And we see it start and we feel like we've got a good pace and then something happens and we get taken away and then it just falls apart. And we come back and look at it with shame and say, oh, I didn't do it right. Something was wrong. And so we try to blow on it a little bit more. We bring something new into the equation. At one point, I have to admit, I took some of the paper plates and threw them in there to see if that would do a little bit more. Maybe if I do this or do that, it will help me in my prayer life. And it gets roaring again and we think, yes, I'm walking, I'm doing, it's good. And then all of a sudden something happens or we just get distracted and it goes away. That's one reason why we're taking three Sundays to actually talk about prayer. Because I think it's something that within the life of those who are walking in Christ and those who may be investigating what it actually means to walk in Christ, what does this life look like, is one of the things that can cause us the deepest regret in our lives, the most shame because we feel like we're just not doing it right, and guilt because we know we should be communicating with the Father that loves us. So it might be good for us to think about what prayer is not. Prayer is not a feeling. Prayer is about a relationship, a conversation that is happening. Ultimately, prayer is not about experiencing something while we're doing it. But it is about learning and knowing God more deeply. Too often, we get caught up in how we are supposed to be praying, so much so that we just decide it's not worth praying anymore. In some sense, we're always thinking about the end result. How does the end come about? How will my request be responded to by God? And so it's good for us to remember that prayer is not a negotiation about acquisition. It's not about us saying, this is what I want, and now what do I need to do for you, big fella, to get me to the thing that I want? Instead, prayer is about discovering what our heart's desires are, and how God will either work in them or transform them to meet those desires. Too often when we start with the results in mind, this is how this has to be answered, we miss the opportunity to see what God 
is going to do. However, we're called to pray like children. Paul Miller has a book called The Praying Life, and in that book he has a section called Praying Like a Child. And he goes to these verses about this Abba, Father, and what does it mean to do that? So again, let me say, many here, when you hear the word Father, it can cause pain for you. You can hear the word Father and it can bring back memories of neglect and abuse and hurt and disappointment. And so it's good to point out that all of us are failed people. And there are those who walk so turned in on themselves that they can't see the damage that they're doing to others. And some of you have maybe experienced that with their fathers. Now they're of no excuse that doesn't get them off the hook for the damage and the hurt that they've caused. But if I can encourage you to see how Abba Father is the perfect Father, the one who is good and longs to do good for us. And so when we see Paul in Romans and Galatians saying that we are now children of God or sons of God, he uses sons because it's important for people to recognize in that time that they were heirs, that they were going to get what the Father was going to give them, and and women at that time weren't going to get that. And so he had to say sons so that they understood that connection, but what he was talking to was men and women, saying you are children of God. And that we, by Holy Spirit, have been given this word, Abba, Father. Now, Abba, Father, there's the Aramaic Abba that is there, and then Father is followed right after it, and that's very important for us. Because Abba, we can hear that, and and it has been said that it is like Daddy, And that's true. It could have come from, linguistically, babies just babbling and saying, da-da, abba. And that's how they grabbed that word and used it and said, there's an intimacy to that. There's a, a, a rest in that. But it's interesting that it's not just abba. It is abba, father. Because it is a place where we recognize God intimately, but at the same time we recognize his power. That it's not a place where we're just looking at him and saying, you're a good old dad. But we're saying, you're a dad who loves me and is powerful to accomplish what I'm about to ask you to do. And so, what does it mean for us to pray like a child? To be one that says, Abba, Father, in prayer. Well, you... I have children, and so I get requests quite a bit. Some would say that it's like the flock of seagulls in the Finding Nemo movies, that as you come in, they say, mine, 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 mine. It never feels that way with my children, by the way. But you might not have children. You might have nieces or nephews. So if you've experienced watching them grow up, You might not have nieces and nephews, but you have friends that have children and you've maybe watched them. Or maybe you don't even have that, but you've definitely been in a grocery store standing at the checkout line and you've seen a child 
talking to their parents, asking, can I have that Twix bar? How about that Twix bar? It'd be really great if I had that Twix bar. If I get that Twix bar, I'll do this. What if I get that Twix bar now, but I don't eat it till later? That Twix bar looks really good. Have you thought about getting me a Twix bar? See, one of the things about asking God and asking Him in prayer as a child is this. That it is not a chore. When a child asks, they are not looking at it as a chore. This is something I have to do for my parents. A child, when they ask, is asking because they want it. So it's not something that they're begrudgingly do it. If anything, they are putting all of who they are into asking. It's not something that they're dreading doing. It's something that they are longing to do and can't wait to do it. Sometimes at the most inappropriate times. And so if we are to see our Father, Abba, as the one who is powerful to answer us, but who knows us most intimately, then the first thing that we need to recognize about doing that is that we are not to see our prayers as chores. That means this. Prayer is not an isolated part that happens in our lives. It's not isolated from the rest of our lives. When I was growing up, we were told over and over again that we needed to have a daily prayer time. Find that daily prayer time. That's good. There, there's good things behind that. But ultimately, because our hearts get turned on themselves and we have a tendency to make lists that we can tick so that we can seem like we're devoted as opposed to being wholeheartedly into this thing, is we'll go, yep, all right, 3 to 3.15. That's my prayer time. I'm going to pray then. And then three starts to roll around and we're thinking to ourselves, oh, I'm in the middle of doing this thing and I know, but that's what I set for my prayer time. And so, and so it becomes this chore, this thing that we're required to do. A child never feels like they are required to ask for what they want. <laughs> they actually can't wait to ask for what they want. But when we set it up in this thing that it's an isolated thing, this thing that's outside of all of our lives, then we tend to look at it as a chore. And it becomes about negotiation with God. Instead, we should walk in that path saying, Abba, Father, here's the desire of my heart. Here is what I want. <laughs> the other thing that's interesting about children when they ask, especially as they're younger, is they are unaware of the limitations that we have as those who might answer that request. I'd like a unicorn, Daddy. Is there any way you can get me a unicorn? Now, as they get older, they begin to preface things and say, oh, I want to ask you something, but I know you're going to say no, and it might not be able to happen. And if you're a good dad, you go, yeah, just, oh, good, I'm glad you're not going to ask me. No, <laughs> you don't. 
You say, try it. Just ask. Let me hear what it is. Why? Because I want to know what your heart is about. And usually it's something that the answer is, sadly, in our household, eight out of ten times, no, you're right. You were right. (laughs) Sorry. See, but there's that place (laughs) that we go, oh, I want to ask this thing, but there's no way that God wants to do this. I I, I want to ask for this, but I'm not quite sure that God will do this. And so we don't. And we're fearful that if we tell somebody, well, I asked for this, we even do it in such a way that we um, mock it. We make little jokes about it. Well, I was in the car park and I prayed for a parking space. It's probably not the best way to do it, but I did it and I got it. We do that to belittle the idea that we can ask God for anything and everything, whatever our heart desire is, because here's the thing, the Father knows us and recognizes that there are things that we're going to ask for that are not going to be possible for us at this time. And we then, in faith, have to go, oh, you're going to have to teach me why that is. I want to know why I can't have a unicorn. This is what I want. And the good father is saying, there is no unicorn. But maybe I can take you for a pony ride? The third thing that it means as we become those who know that we can ask for anything that knows that it is not a chore for us to be asking because children don't see it that way is that we then also begin to recognize that everything we ask for means that we are dependent. (laughs) If we're to pray as a child, it means we're beginning to recognize we cannot do this on our own. That it is impossible for us to walk through life without God's goodness and mercy and grace walking with us. That it is by God's mercy and grace that God moves in our lives and shows us the things that we need. Shows us the things we need to turn away from. Gives us the gifts that enable us to walk with that full love for Him and others. When babies are born, they cannot do anything but eat and get rid of what they've eaten. And they're limited in what they can eat. Babies will never taste the goodness of a Reese's peanut butter cup till much later in their life. Even though they might want to. They're dependent, holy, 100%. And as children begin to grow, they still are dependent. And when they're off on their own, there's still this place of saying, can I get your approval, dad or mom, for what I'm doing, how I'm feeling in healthy family relationships? But if we're to pray like a child, then we come into that place that says, I need you. (laughs) I need you, God. There is nothing within me. 
that can make this work. There's nothing within me that can solve this problem. There's nothing within me that can break me free from this bondage. There's nothing within me, and that is a scary place for us to be. But children operate in that way with such gratitude and openness. Take care of me. Uh, Right? Sometimes not the most healthy ways. They're crying. That's what happens. They have to. Can't use their words. But we know that means we have to take care of them. And so as somebody who cries out, Abba, Father, we believe and know that we are solely dependent on God. Now here's the amazing thing that happens. Is that our heart as we are calling out as a child knowing that there's not an inappropriate time for me to do this, (laughs) that it is all of my life that I can stop and say, I need this, I desire this, I, I want this, is God draws us to himself so that our hearts can be aligned with what he is because prayer is not about getting what I want, right? It's not about the end. It's about seeing and receiving what God is doing. Yet, we have examples where God moves in a direction to meet those needs. And so we walk in this way of saying, I'm dependent, this is not a chore, and I can ask whenever. We only had two of the verses here that Abba Father is used in in Scripture. That Romans and that Galatians verse. I want to go to the only other place in the New Testament where that is seen. It's in Mark chapter 14. So if you want to go there in the Bibles that are in front of you or on your devices, you can do that, but I'm going to read it to you. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 32. This is Jesus after the Lord's Supper heading out to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Men are about and they are on their way to arrest him and take him to the cross. And this is what we read. And they went to the place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here a while while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch. And going a little farther away, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Meaning, if it were possible, that he would not be crucified. And he said this, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He does it two more times. Abba, Father. You see, Jesus at that place walks in our stead because it's really hard for us to be those that are dependent. (laughs) It's really hard for us to believe there's not an appropriate time for something, that it's much better if I schedule this than to just let my life be about prayer. It's difficult for us in the way that our heart works, and yet Jesus went before us and said, I'm the one who calls out Abba, Father. I'm the one who is praying in your stead like a child. And Jesus had a huge request. (laughs) I don't want to die. 
And yet he leads the example that says, but you, as the Abba Father, know what's good. You know what will bring about goodness in this world. You know what will bring about glory for you. And so not what I want, but what you want. And oh, to let Jesus rest in that place for us. To let Jesus be the one who ultimately is the answer to all of our prayers. That says, in me you will find all that you need. So come as a dependent, (laughs) nagging child to the Father. The Abba who loves you. Who wants you. Who can't wait to hear what is on your heart and mind. No matter how outrageous it might seem to you. Because he will take it and hear it and move in your heart to align it with what he is doing. Sometimes not right away. (laughs) Sometimes it's a wrestle. Sometimes we have to be like the persistent widow (laughs) who says, Hey, you even feed (laughs) the dogs from the crumbs. So give me some of that. But God is faithful because Christ is the one who prays for us. Let me pray. If there's anything that's not from you, Lord, let it burn up and let it pass away. But if it is from you, we ask that it will bring you glory and honor and praise. God, we also ask that in this moment that you will prepare our hearts for the next couple of weeks as we look at prayer. That you will provide for us places of learning what it means to live in communion with you. This ongoing dialogue that allows you to transform our hearts. But also for us to know you more deeply as we see your work. We thank you for the gift of grace that is prayer. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand up and sing in response together.